So this morning we're going to continue our series in the book of Ephesians. We're in Ephesians chapter 3 this morning, and as we begin to read in Ephesians chapter 3, Paul kind of switches his tone just a little bit. Um, So far we've looked at uh, Ephesians chapter 1 and 2. In Ephesians chapter 1, the first Oh, I don't know, along about verse 3 all the way up to verse 18, I think it is. There's 15 verses where we have 18 blessings that Paul says are available to the church. We have peace, we have joy, we have we, we have all kinds of things. We have hope. If you ever find yourself just so discouraged that you can't hardly get out of bed in the morning, start reading Ephesians chapter 1. Because Paul talks about all the things that we have in Christ. When we're in Christ, we're in Christ, the blessings that we have, all the peace, the joy, the life, the hope that we have in Christ, all those blessings. Then we go on into uh, the end of uh, in chapter 2, Paul talks about that barrier. We talked about that last week. Actually, Paul talked about a barrier of hostility. And how many of you know when there's barriers between people, when there's struggles between people, he was talking specifically about the Jews and the Gentiles, but you can have a barrier, a barrier of hostility between Republicans and Democrats, right? Between maskers and no maskers, right? Between vaxxers and anti-vaxxers, you can have a wall of hostility. And Paul says, Jesus came to destroy that wall of hostility. And I believe that he was talking specifically there about the Jews and the Gentiles, but I believe that carries over into every aspect of life. You know, the only difference between me and anybody else here is just that we have differences, and Christ can take those differences down, right? He tells us in, in Corinthians, uh, he says, I become like the, the, those that are without the law, not that I'm not, un, not under law to God, but I become like those so that I can save those. Those who are church, those who are unchurched, those who are here, those who are there. I'm going to do everything I can to try and lay down my life. Why? So that I can butter them up? No, so that they can come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's part of the call here. So he changes his tone a little bit, and I want you to kind of get this. Uh, Paul's kind of switching gears. In Ephesians 3, he says, For this reason, starting in verse 1, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. Anybody who's not a Jew, it'd be us, most of us. Paul said, I've got a message for you. For your sake, I'm a prisoner of of Christ Jesus, and again, please remember, at this time, Paul actually literally was imprisoned. Surely you have heard about the administration. One translation says the stewardship. Let's use that word. Surely you have heard about the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. Paul said, I've got something for you. In case you didn't know it, I've got something for you. This administration of God's grace. I've got something for you. It was given to me that this mystery, that is the mystery made known to me by revelation as I have already written briefly. Paul said, I've got this this mystery, this this gift, this thing that that it's been revealed to me. Nobody else has had it yet. It's been revealed to me. So I want to just define mystery really quick. In, In our English words, when we think of mystery, we think of a detective show, right? You know, somebody killed somebody and there's a body stash someplace or, or there's a gun here or there's something, there's a mystery. We have to uncover this thing. 
Is that what you think of when you think of mystery? That's what I think of. Some kind of mystery. So a great detective. You got to kind of try and figure it out. There's some kind of, in, in the mysteries that we think of, there's always some kind of darkness in there. Somebody did something wrong. And what Paul says, that there is this mystery that God has revealed to me. And so the biblical definition of mystery here is nothing to do with that. It's not talking about any kind of darkness. It's not talking about anything sinister. It's not talking about anything that's elusive. As a matter of fact, it's just the opposite of that. What Paul is talking about is the truth that, that was, it simply was not revealed. You just didn't know it. And that is the truth that's in Christ Jesus, that he is our redeemer. We're going to look at that a little bit in depth here because I think we miss some things on occasion. This mystery is the salvation that comes through Jesus Christ. And Paul is trying to be as clear as he can be that he didn't get this from reading in some book. He didn't get it from some class that he went to. He didn't hear some great speaker. He said, this mystery was revealed to me by God and is now being revealed to the preachers and the prophets and the people in the church. Paul's like, this is a, a totally new revelation. You see, God had kept some things in the dark in the past. He didn't, didn't lay out his whole plan. Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 4. In this reading, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together of the promise in Christ. More to the point, more specifically what he's saying is, sharers in the promise of the Messiah, sharers in the promise of the Deliverer. For, for years, for literally at this point, generations, uh, about 4,000 years, Israel believed that God was going to send them a deliverer and set them free. The problem is they didn't know what they were getting set free from, right? I want you to imagine something with me. The best way I could do this is just to try and give you a little visual. Um, this was revealed to me. Nobody showed me this. How was that? <clears throat> If you look at history, we start here, look at the Bible, and you say, okay, we've got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, blah, 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 all the way around to Malachi, end of the New Testament, end of the Old Testament, beginning of the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, blah, 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 Revelation. If you can imagine history Similar to this. This would be the Old Testament. That's not a perfect date, but this is the Old Testament. And somewhere in this Old Testament is a gift. Okay, this is the Old Testament. We we have to understand, I think sometimes, and this was a question that I got last week, what's so special about the Jews? I don't know if you've ever asked this question. I asked this question shortly after I accepted Jesus. I was with a guy and I said, well, you talk about the Jews, you talk about the Jews. What's so special about the Jews? Why are they so special? Anybody ever ask that question? Don't, you don't have to raise your hand. Anybody still wondering? You don't have to raise your hand. It's okay. This morning, I'm going to explain what's so special about the Jews, okay? About the Jewish nation. You see, back in the time of Genesis, man walked with God. 
And then along comes Genesis chapter 3, and there's separation, there's sin. Raymond and I were walking in great fellowship. We got along well. He was my partner in crime. We did everything together. And he knew, if I knew it, he knew it. And then all of a sudden, he offended me. All of a sudden, he did something wrong. And I'm like, I've got enough of you. You just separation. And what happens then when there's separation? There's no communication, right? We don't know each other. We don't talk anymore. There was, there was separation between God and man in Genesis chapter 3. And what we find then is God is seeking somebody, and along the way, he comes across a man by the name of Abram. We know him as Abraham, okay? But he makes a promise to Abraham. I, I, want, I want you to see this this description, this, this wall. Think of this as, as like, a, like a wall, like a fence. Think of this as like a fence. He comes across this man by, by the name of Abraham, and he says to Abraham, I want to make a covenant, an agreement with you. I want to make an agreement with you, and I will, I'll cover both sides. A covenant is like a, a mutual understanding, an agreement. Every time you buy a vehicle, you buy a house, you kind of enter into a covenant. You'll get the house, I'll get your money. That's the simplest form of a covenant. Marriage is a covenant. Everything I have, my wife has. Everything my wife has, I have. Good, bad, ugly, everything in between, we're in covenant together. Everything we have is one. Our culture doesn't like this, okay? But that's what a covenant is. Everything that we have, we have together. So God says, I want to make a covenant with you, Abraham. And when he does, he makes Abraham a promise. He promises Abraham that he will, through Abraham, send a deliverer, send a Messiah, send a, a Savior, and the entire world, every generation, every man, every woman, every child, every person on the planet will be blessed through this deliverer, through this covenant, through this Savior. Now, that's really a nutshell version of it, okay? Okay. We're going to go from Abraham, and we're going to go through, through David, and we find this lineage of Jesus Christ. Well, here's what's important. In the Old Testament, God had to protect that promise, okay? I, I hate to use this analogy. I really do. But think of it like a football, okay? You have to protect the football, right? At all costs, you have to protect the football. Well, the football, in this case, is the Messiah, the gift, the Messiah, the deliverer, the hope, that's Jesus Christ is who it is. But in the Old Testament, in order to protect that, God had to surround that, the Messiah, really surround him with the Jewish nation. That was the, the, the Jewish, the promise for all eternity. Now you got 4,000 years of Jewish history, and in that 4,000 years, God had to put, thank you so much for moving that cord, God had to put a protection around that that Messiah in order to get him to the finish line. Does that make sense? Does it make sense? He had to put protection. So in the Old Testament, we have the law. We have all the rules and the regulations. The Jews, you, you, you can't do this. You can't do that. You can't do this. You got to do this. You got to do that. You got to do this. You, gotta, you can't do that. You got to do this. There's this big checklist. Now, we can't even follow just the Ten Commandments on a regular basis. You know, usually by the time I get out of bed, I broke at least one, okay? And that's nothing compared to the rules and the regulations that were called the, the rabbinical law, the rule of the, the rabbis, the law of the rabbis. By the time you get done with the rule of the, the, the law of the rabbis, there was over 6,000 rules 
that you had to keep every day. 6,000. I broke one as soon as I put on this shirt because it's polyester and cotton. You can't have those two. You can't have anything mixed with cotton when you put it on, okay? You, you, on the Sabbath, you could eat if you cooked something in a warmed oven, but you couldn't warm the oven, okay? It was against the rules, but God set all of those rules in place in order to protect the Messiah, in order to protect that deliverer, in order to protect the Savior. You see, everything in the Old Testament points one direction, and that is to the cross, Everything in the Old Testament points to the cross. And then we get to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And when we're in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we read about this Jesus. We get this picture of here's the Messiah. And then we've got the New Testament. Here's the deal about the New Testament. In the New Testament, we find the checklist is gone. The rules and the regulations are gone. They're not there. But everything here points back to Jesus. Paul, in all of his writings, points back to Jesus. There's no hope outside of Jesus. The Jews put all of their hope in the rules and the regulations. Now, here's what the Jews didn't understand. The Jews heard about this Messiah that was coming, this deliverer that was coming. And if you read through the Old Testament, what you find is 17 different times God sent rulers, he sent a king, he sent a deliverer, he sent a, a Gideon, he sent a David, he sent some we'd call it like a type and a shadow, some form of a deliverer for Israel that set them free, usually from some kind of bondage that they were in because of the Gentiles or because of their own stupidity. How many of you know that? We kind of struggle with that too. We get in bondage because of our own stupidity. Anyhow, whole nother sermon, whole nother week. Because of this, the Jewish nation was considered a blessed people because they had the promise And God had to keep that promise. He had to protect that promise. He had to keep everybody out. You don't marry another nation. Don't do do this. Don't do that. Protect the promise. Protect the promise. Protect the promise. The promise is born. And what happens? The Jewish people are still consumed with thinking that their their Savior, their Messiah, is going to be a physical deliverer. He's going to come in and set them free from Rome. They miss the fact that their deliverer was a spiritual deliverer deliverer right Jesus came to set them free on the inside not on the outside and if the Jews needed setting free on the inside so did the Gentiles everybody else needed that same thing the Jews couldn't they couldn't handle that they wanted a a Messiah they were at this point in history and when Jesus was born they were under Roman rule they'd been under Roman rule for quite some time they wanted a a King David somebody coming in on a white horse is going to set him free and you're going to put Rome in its place all they could think of was in the physical in the flesh that's all they could think of when in reality God said I don't I don't care about what your your captivity I don't care about the physical I need to set you free on the inside. And they missed that. So they thought they had all this line. Well, they end up rejecting Jesus. We're coming into the Easter, the resurrection scene, the resurrection season. They missed that, and they had Jesus crucified. Paul actually, you're going to see this in just a minute. It's fantastic, I think. Um, But they had Jesus crucified, because they called him a blasphemer, because he didn't follow all their laws the way they thought they should be followed. And in doing that, 
he actually makes Christ, they actually make Christ available to the rest of the world. And that's the revelation that Paul got. That's the revelation that he could not get any other way. Was, it was no writings about this, as you could understand. Paul needed this revealed in his spirit that, hey, Christ is not just the Messiah that's coming. The Messiah that's coming is not just for the Jews. If you're looking for a Messiah to deliver a people physically, fine, send in a warrior. But if you're looking to deliver somebody spiritually, because it's when that break happened between Raymond and I, when that break happened between Adam and God, it wasn't just a physical break, it was a spiritual break. They disobeyed God and death came into the earth. Sin came on the scene. That's why we live in the crummy world that we live in at times. I mean, we can have great joy, but it comes only by knowing a Savior. Now, Paul sets this up. This mystery is through the gospel, the good news, telling people the good news about Jesus. This mystery is through the gospel. The Gentiles are heirs to along with Israel. What Paul is saying is when you understand the good news of Jesus, you find it's not just Israel that gets blessed by it. They're not only the ones that get blessed by it. They're still a special people. They're still people that God has set apart for a purpose and for a reason. But God has used them to deliver the Messiah, and now everybody is blessed. Everybody is blessed through that. That's the revelation that Paul had. The Jews were still looking for this Messiah just for them. And Paul says, it isn't just for you. As a matter of fact, everybody needs it. Today, we look at things a little bit different. When I worked at American Linen, I had a, I had a boss who was a great guy. He managed, not only managed our plant, but he managed um, six other plants. He was a general manager for the company. He uh, had been with the company for 35 years, 40 years, whatever it was, been there a long, long time. Started out like everybody else driving a truck and ended up working his way up to district regional manager. Then he made it to district manager. Then he was actually, I think he made it to be a vice president of the company. He was a good guy. He had his family together. He was on church boards. He was in community boards. He was an activist for this. He was part of that. He was part of this. He was part of He was a good guy. He was so good that he didn't think he needed the gospel. Let me go a step farther. He was so good as a believer, like I didn't know he needed the God. I was afraid to tell him about the gospel. His life's together. My life to that point in time hadn't been all so together. I'd gone off down on this trail and that trail. I spent more time in the ditch than I spent on the trail. His life was so good, I didn't know if I could even speak into it. But here's the deal. Just like Israel. Doesn't make any difference whether you're good or bad. Doesn't make any difference whether you got just, boy, you can just be an outstanding citizen. Plus, 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 everything. Just outstanding. Outstanding. Or you can be the druggie in town who's got negatives, who's got every bad thing in their life that's happened to them. Bad, 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 right? Who needs Jesus? Both of them. Both of them, that's the revelation. That's the revelation. You're, just because you're good doesn't mean you don't need Jesus. Let me say that one more time. Just because you're good doesn't mean you don't need Jesus. 
because we do not compare to him. We can't even we can't even scratch the surface of his righteousness. Our only righteousness, our only hope, our only hope, only hope comes through Jesus. The Bible tells me that my good works in and of themselves are filthy rags. You ever used a filthy rag in a garage? You know, cleaning up grease, oil, then you go to wash the window with that same rag. Filthy rags, all my goodness, all my positivity, all, my, all, my, all the good things that I do. Filthy rags, they don't mean anything. They don't even scratch the surface. And Paul says, I want you to understand this. I want you Jews to understand. I want you Gentiles to understand it. Adam and Eve sinned. They separated God. They were separated from God. But Jesus came to restore that. So Paul says, look, this mystery, this thing that has not been revealed to anybody yet throughout history, that the deliverer, the Messiah, is not just for the Jews. It's for everybody across the board. Everybody needs it, even the Jews who didn't think they needed Jesus, right? Spiritually speaking, we all come into the world dead and we all need a Messiah to bring us to life. We all need a deliverer. That is where our hope comes from. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 7. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given to me through the working of his power. Just listen, just listen to that. Just listen to that. Paul says, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace. God gave me grace. At this point, Paul was a Roman citizen. He was, he was Jew. He was he's all these things, and, he, and he, he had murdered somebody. Matter of fact, he was persecuting anybody who believed in Jesus. If they actually were Jews and they believed in Jesus, he was dragging them out of their house, persecuting them, some he had killed. I became a servant of this gospel, of this good news, by the gift of God's grace given to me through the working of his power. There's nothing that I did, nothing that I'm not good enough. There's no good in me. There's nothing good enough in me that would make me a minister of this. Although I am less than the least of the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to them the administration of this mystery, which for ages has been kept hidden in God, who created all things. This applies to us today. I know it seems like it's far off, but it applies to us. Every one of us, I don't care who you are. If you're watching online, you say, you know what, I do all the good things. I'm part of everything in the community. I, I, I'm a blessing. Everybody says, I, I'm so good, I'm so good, I'm so good. If you don't have Jesus, then you're missing out on the riches of God's grace. You're missing out on it. You're lost. If you're sitting here and you say, you know what, I've done everything right, but you haven't accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you're missing it. Somebody's phone keeps going off. We're getting ready to dance. This applies in our life. Chapter 2, Paul said, 
for it is in verse 8, he said, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourself. It's a gift of God. It's not by works that anyone can boast. You can get saved if you just take this Bible. That's all there is to it. Here's a gift. I got a gift for you. You can have that if you just take it. You can have it if you just take it. Are you going to take it or are you not going to take it? Are you going to take it? Are you going to have it if you just take it? Take it. Take it. Here, folks, take that salvation. Take that gift. Reach up and grab it. Don't just kind of sit there and go, well, you know, I'm going to go to church. We'll see what happens. Listen, I'm not really sure about the preacher. I'm not really sure about it. He's drawing. He's using color crayons in church. I'm not really sure. I don't care about color crayons. I don't care about the preacher. Grab hold of the grace of Jesus Christ because that's the truth. And that is the only salvation, the only way to salvation. That is the free gift that's given. There's nothing you can do, nothing you can do, nothing I can do. Nothing. I can get up here and preach every Sunday. And if I don't accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, I'm going to hell. Jesus said you can give your body to the flames. I can, I can sacrifice. I can jump in front of a bullet for Teddy. That is not going to send me to heaven. It's not. It may make me a good man, but it would be a good man that's just as dead. And dead twice because it'll be eternal death the second time. Eternal judgment. The Jews couldn't say, look, hey, we kept all the rules. Doesn't make any difference. The rules are not what made the difference. Now get this in verse 10. Because this is where I start to get excited. His intent, verse 10, his intent was that through the church, who's the church? We're the church, right? God's got a purpose for my life. God's got a purpose for my life. Through the church, this manifold wisdom of God should be made known, listen to this, to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. This secret this mystery of salvation was kept a mystery even to the devil. Even to the angels in the heavenly realms, they didn't know about it. Yeah. It's our job as the church to let them know. You know what a manifold is? Here's an engine. Very crude. You got all these little cylinders. A V8, we'll make it a V8 so it's a big engine. They've got to be fed fuel, right? So you put the carburetor up on top right here, and then you disperse fuel to each cylinder. That dispersion comes through the manifold. It's called an intake manifold. It's something comes in and it gets dispersed. Guess what, church? You are the manifold. You're the central knowledge that we have that comes from the word that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life and that no man comes to the Father unto him gets dispersed through you. You're the tool. You're the dispersion. You're the channel. This is the manifold. Reread it. His intent was now that through the church, this manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and to the authorities in the heavenly realm. Do you want to see another picture of a manifold? Let me show you another picture of a manifold, because that's the intake. 
Then we have what's called the exhaust manifold. So after the fuel comes in and it gets exploded in the cylinder and that makes power and you're moving forward, now you've got another group of pipes and it's called the exhaust manifold. And that exhaust manifold comes together. Here, you have one point of input and it gets dispersed. Here you have multiple points and it goes out. So a manifold, a manifold is about this point of transition. So not only do we take that truth of who God is and we disperse that, but also when we come together, we feed each other and we look like a body when we come together. That's good. I'm just telling you, that's good. That'll preach. That's good preaching right there. The body of Christ. It is. You might not get it, but that's good preaching right there. The body of Christ, when we come together, what happens is we come together, we experience the fullness of God. That's what Paul says according, in verse 11. According to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in him through faith, in him, uh, in him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for which you are in glory. It's not there. Oh, 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 verse 19. And know this, know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the full measure of God. How many of you ever had a, a Thanksgiving meal? Excuse me, Grace. A Thanksgiving, you got to stand up. I need to cheer in there. How many of you ever had a Thanksgiving meal? And when you got all done, you went like this. Ugh. I am filled to the fullness of turkey. I need a nap. How many of you ever walked around and said, I am filled to the fullness of God? Because that's what the body of Christ is about. And we get to reveal that in the heavenly realms when we walk together in unity, when we walk together in peace, when we say, this thing about Jesus is so much more important than this thing about Tim. By the way, you can put your name on that blank. It doesn't just have to be me. The body of Christ is so much more important than Tim. It's so much more important than Raymond. It's so much more important than Scott or Marlis. And I love Marlis, okay? But it's more important than Marlis. It's more important than Annette. It's more important than all that, the body of Christ. We have to understand this concept of a manifold. It's two, it comes in two ways. First of all, it comes in and we dispense it. And then when we gather together, we come in and we gather the fullness of it. Folks, Paul's saying that this, this is the purpose of the church. I told you this Two weeks ago, last week maybe, I told you, you know, what happens is we come along and we get saved and all of a sudden we think, well, I got my, my bus ticket. Now I'm going to heaven. There's my ticket to heaven. Well, I like having a marker. I got my ticket to heaven. Now I just get to sit here to hell with you all. Right? I'm just going to sit back and it's all about me. Or are we going to stand up and say we're the church and regardless of what Marla says or Scott says or what Tim says or what my, we're going to walk in unity and we're going to show the world and we're going to show heaven that we've got a greater purpose than just the life about Tim. 
Paul said, this is a mystery that's been revealed. The church is a mystery. This, the, it's not about being good or bad. It's the fact that we all need Jesus. Every one of us needs Jesus. I was raised in church, Pastor. My mom and my dad, they went to church. My brothers and sisters, they all went to church. I got a brother who's a preacher. I don't care. If you don't need, you don't know Jesus, you're lost. There is no salvation any other way than through the blood of Jesus Christ. He came and he paid the price. Whether you're good or bad, your blood, his blood, covered your sin. Your sin, you deserve punishment that he took. You might say, well, I'm in church because I believe. I, then, then it's our turn to dispense that truth, to disperse that, to let that truth be known to others. And we should come together here, and we should walk out of this place and go, man, I feel full. I just feel good. I feel challenged. I feel like I should, I should do something about this. And you know what? Not just here. It's not just here. You should have get-togethers with your friends and your brothers and sisters in Christ. You should invite somebody in to beat them up. No, don't beat them up. Let them share in the turkey, man. Let them just share in the fellowship. Let them share in the love. Let them experience what you're experiencing. We can experience a fullness that's found in Christ. Well, the whole world is looking for that. You were looking for it. I was looking for it. I was looking for it. I had that hole in my heart that was looking for something. I didn't know what I was looking for, so I tried it all kinds of different ways. But there is a fullness that we find in Christ, a hope that we find in Christ, a peace that we find in Christ. And Paul said, this is, a, this is the revelation that I have is that it's in Christ and it is for everybody. I don't care if you're close or if you're far off. It's for everybody. Paul says in, in chapter 3 and verse 14, for this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's saints. That's this exhaust manifold. It's, you're going to have power with all the Lord's saints. You're going to gather together through his spirit. You're going to have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ. And know that this love surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the full measure of the fullness of God. That we can gather together and we can know. Lay down, lay it down, lay it down. It is not about you, it's about Christ. It's not about me, it's about Christ. It's not about my rights or my wrongs. Do I got to get them right? Sure, I got to get them right. I've said this before, I've never gone fishing and caught a fillet. Never. Hadn't happened. You know what happens in our men's group? The Bible says, like iron sharpens iron, so, man, so one man sharpens another. We talk about, what, what, what does the Bible say there? What does the Bible say? And sometimes that rubs somebody wrong. I've seen people get rubbed wrong. Hey, hey, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. You know what? It's not about you. It's about how do we do this together? Church, we've got a responsibility. 
We've got a responsibility. It's to absorb that fullness and then be dispensers of that fullness to your neighborhood, to your friends, to people you don't like. How about that? To people you don't like. To people who have offended you. To people who have hurt you. We have the opportunity. We have the obligation. And then in verse 20, when I was in the Institute of Ministry, this was our verse. Now unto him who is able to do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine according to his power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. This revelation that Paul had, it has to do with Christ being needed by everyone. That there's a, There is a, a sin nature that separates us from God, whether you're good or bad, whether you're, whether you're Jew or whether you're Gentile. And Paul says, when you get that together and when we really understand that, there's going to be glory towards God in the church. How many of you know that's not the way the world generally sees the church, right? We haven't necessarily done a good job of being the glory of God, have we? Have we? We have not generally done a good job of that. But I got, a, I got, a, I got a, an opportunity for you. Today we can change that. Today we can change that. We can walk out of here and not say that lousy Bob. You know, that lousy Bob. Blah, 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 blah. And boy, they couldn't keep their kid quiet. If they could just keep their kid quiet. You know what? It's not about Bob and it's not about your kid. Or the neighbor's kid. Or a phone. Oh, they couldn't get the phone. Blah, blah. Who cares? If I can't preach above a phone, I better get a better job or another job. But when we stop worrying about me, mine, and ours, when we begin to look at the body of Christ, it's in him, it's by him, it's through him. We're going to see a whole different church. We're going to see a whole different church. We're going to see a whole different church. You believe that? Time to practice it. If you believe it, look at the signs when you're going out the door, out the driveway. You drive out the driveway, it says you're, you're going to enter. From here, watch out, from here you're going to enter your mission field. From here you're entering your mission field. You're going to leave this place where it's nice and safe and where everybody... Well, if we don't like each other, we at least tolerate each other, right? I mean, we, you know, we do pretty good. We get along. It's all right. We have coffee together. But from here, church, you're going to leave, and you get to take the truth, the manifold truth of God's grace, the manifold truth that gets poured in from his word, the manifold truth that gets poured in from his life, the manifold truth that gets poured in from his Holy Spirit, and you get to be a dispenser of that. You get to be a dispenser of that. You're not a soap dispenser. You're a hope dispenser. Right? You get to offer this community something that will really clean them up. Right? That's who we are. Let's close in prayer. God, I thank you for each person who's here today. I thank you for your word. I thank you for this revelation that you gave Paul. 
Revelation said, no matter how good or how bad you are, whether you're in the club or whether you're out of the club, whether you're a Jew or whether you're Gentile, whether you're liberal, whether you're uh, 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 conservative, doesn't make any difference. You all need Jesus. You all need Jesus. He is the help. He is the hope. He is the life. He is the light. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to God except through Christ Jesus. And there is nothing that we can do to get there except grab a hold when you're coming by. Grab a hold and say, pick me, God, pick me. Take me along with you. I accept your truth. God, I pray you'd bless this group of people, this body, this church. I pray that as we walk out these doors, we'd become hope dispensers all over this community. Where we would spread life, we'd spread peace, we'd spread hope. Why? Because the love of Jesus is in us. We'll save the judging, God, for you. We'll let you do that. And we'll be dispensers of hope to this community in Jesus' name. Amen.